0: I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Can you say amen to that? You may be seated. It's good to be in church today, the safest place on earth. Amen. I thank God for what we've been hearing Terms of the word of the Lord, and I thank God for every one of our brothers, Amen, that bring to us the word of the Lord. It's so good to be here among my brothers and sisters in my home church. I doesn't preach here as anywhere, and uh, I thank God for the fellowship we have. As brothers and sisters in the Lord, praise God. Thank God for our shepherd. You know, it is considered to be the honorable thing and the normal thing to brag on the pastor, whether it's a visiting preacher who comes through here or whether it's one of us ministers Locally on the staff. It's just the assumed thing to do that. And I, I want you to know that when I lift up his name in thanksgiving and praise, that I'm not doing it just because it's expected. But I truly feel that way. I thank God for the fellowship I've had with Brother Stevenson, and I thank God for his family. We our pastor's family, our children and young people we can be proud of. Amen, their walk with God, their conduct and the way they behave themselves, we can be so thankful for what the Lord has done i've been I've been in churches both as a evangelist, a visiting preacher, that the children were doing some of the craziest things you can imagine, and it wreaked havoc upon the name and life of the man of God. But it's no such thing here. Brother and Sister Stevenson have taught their children well. And they behave among us with with honor and with holiness. And I thank God for that, don't you? We don't have to tuck our head. Go right ahead. We don't have to be ashamed or be embarrassed by anybody bringing up the names of our pastor's family. Praise God. I'm so thankful to be in this pulpit this afternoon, and I'm well aware of the fearfulness of this pulpit and of this desk, and by the help of God today, I want to minister His Word, be a blessing to Brother uh, Stevenson, be a blessing to the name of the Lord, and to you, the saints of God of this church. We're in dangerous times. We're in awesome times. The writer of the new the writers of the New Testament are united in the way they approach the generation that we're living in right now, giving us warning about it. In fact, The Apostle Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In other words, in this day and age, we're going to need that super heavenly strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you make it, you're going to have to overcome some things. And we need the strength of God to help us do that. The Apostle Peter said about this day, Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now that calling there is not about the ministry. That's about being a child of God. In Romans, the Apostle Paul said, Called to be saints. That's our calling in these days, to be saints of God, and that's what I want to be. John said, Be faithful and walk in truth. We need to love the truth and cling to it with everything in us, and not let the spirits of this age steal it from us. Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with drunkenness and the cares of this life. It's a special day. It's a dangerous day. And we need to have all of God we can get to be able to persevere through it. I want to be standing somewhere. When he calls my name and say, here am I. I want to hear the Lord welcome me and you to that great gathering of the church of the living God. What a glorious day that's going to be. Praise the Lord. If you'll pray for me this afternoon, I want to I wanna please the Lord. I want to be a blessing to my shepherd and i want to be a blessing to you i'm turning to the book of first samuel chapter 31 that's the last chapter of samuel or first samuel first samuel chapter 31 and just one verse so Saul died and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men that same day together. What a horrific day in the history of the people of God this was. And so Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, And all his men that same day. And I want to preach by the help of the Lord. It's a long road to Gilboa. It's a long road to Gilboa. Praise the Lord. Brother Nylon, where are you? Would you ask the Lord to bless us? This message. Amen. I'm preaching this message because I believe that you started out with God to finish your course. I don't believe there was any intention in you of getting started. And then not finishing. The Bible talks. In fact it was Jesus. Talked about a man that. Was going to build a tower. But he did not. Count the cost. He did not. Sit down and assess. What it would cost him. To build that tower. And as a result. He only built it halfway up. And had to stop. And so that tower half finished, half built, became a shame to him and a mockery to him because he did not count the cost. And I tell you today, we need to be very thorough in counting the cost of being apostolic in our day, of hearing the Lord say, well done. What a remarkable thing there is. And Jesus doesn't tell stories. If he says you did well, you did well. And I want to somehow make my way through the grace of God into that group that he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. One of the terrible things about backsliding is that except in some cases, it's not instantaneous. It's not a sudden thing that takes place. But as the tide and the waters of the ocean beach and ebbs and flows against the shore and Sand and dirt and part of the land is washed away over a period of time. Even so through carnality and lack of prayer and lack of preparation and no fasting. Our spirituality, our relationship with God can be washed away until there is nothing left. The most precious Possession that you have is not in terms of silver and gold. It's not in terms of land and money. But the most precious thing you have is your salvation today. To be able to stand up among the children of God and say, I am saved. I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to glory. That's the most precious thing that you can have in the world. And so losing out with God is a slow, terrible exercise and ordeal. And we see it demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's a long road. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's a long, long road to Gilboa. Where we read about King Saul here and his boys and his armor bearer and his army. It's a long road and I want to be sure that I don't get caught on it. Hallelujah. Let's look at the mile markers of this Road to Gilboa. In chapter 13, in verse 8, we have the King Saul intruding, trespassing into the office of the priest of God. He was a king, not a priest. It wasn't his place to offer the sacrifices of God, it wasn't his place to perform the duties of the ministry but presumptuously he stepped into the office of the priest he had made a contract or made an appointment with samuel that he would meet they would meet together at a certain time and in chapter 13 saul is waiting for the appearance of samuel He's looking for him to come. They were getting ready to go to battle with their common enemy. I mean, in in Saul's day, the Philistines were their enemy over and over again. And they were getting ready to go to battle against them. And they came against Israel with 30,000 chariots and men that drove them, and warriors that rode in them. That's almost, a chariot in those days was kind of like a tank in our day. 30,000 chariots, but they had not sought the favor of God. They had not looked to the Lord to see, is this the right thing to do? Are we supposed to go to battle? They had not done that. And Saul looked around, and Samuel's nowhere. Look, no matter how strenuous it gets, no matter how nervous you get, wait on the Lord. If he's not talking, wait on the Lord. If he's not doing anything, wait on the Lord. Don't ever presumptuously go forward without the anointing and the favor of Almighty God. But Saul got nervous, and the people got nervous. And a lot of them walked away and left Saul by himself. And in that strain and in that stress about not yet having talked to God and having touched the Lord, Saul said, I've got to do this thing myself. And he got himself a lamb. And he sacrificed it to God. Now you may think, well, they sacrificed to the Lord. That's a good thing. But that's not the due order. It was the place of the man of God to offer that sacrifice. It was the place of the prophet to go before God, before Israel, to offer that sacrifice. But Saul presumptuously offered that sacrifice. He had no sooner got that sacrifice offered than Samuel showed up. And he looked at Saul and said, what have you done? And he said, the people were leaving me. The people were worried. They weren't We hadn't performed our sacrifice to the Lord. You hadn't been here to intercede for us before God. And they pressed me. And so I on my own said, I've got to make this sacrifice. I've got to perform this offering to God before we go to war with these enemies. And Samuel's response was... You have done a foolish thing. Be careful, child of God, that you don't get into the office of the priest. That you don't presumptuously do something which is just for the man of God. There's some things we can do, praising the Lord, singing and shouting, and giving God glory. But there are some things that belonged to For the man of God. And not for us. And we need to back off and wait on the Lord. No matter how long it takes. Wait for the Lord to show up. And do his own work. And do the works of his own office. That we have the blessings of the Lord. Samuel said you've done a foolish thing. And he went on to say because... You did not wait on me. You did not consider me. You did not wait for my word. I have put you aside. And I'm looking for me a man that's after my own heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody having to do my praising. And to do my walk with God. I want to do it. But to do that... It's got to be the Lord's time and the Lord's presence and the Lord's choice. The body of Christ could not, uh, of Israel could not make this sacrifice. That belonged to the prophet of God. But they presumptuously, or at least Saul did, step into there and offer the sacrifice to God And it brought the disfavor of the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't care who we are and how smart we are, how spiritual we are. There are some responsibilities today that belong to the man of God. Don't get caught standing in the man of God's ways and his shoes. There are decisions to be made that belong only to the man of God. If you don't know for sure what God wants you to do, talk to the man of God. Get his counsel. Get his advice. Just don't step in and presumptuously speak for him. There's only one shepherd and there's only one God. In chapter 15, there is incomplete obedience. In chapter 15, he was told to utterly destroy all the Amalekites. Now, when God says utterly and completely and fully, he means just that. Let me put in here this afternoon and say that what you fail to destroy when it comes to the enemies of God's people, what we fail to destroy will ultimately destroy us. And so Saul spared Agag. He spared some of the enemies of God, but he had been told Slay the young, the old, the moms, the dads. That sounds awful. But that was the, every enemy of God. The Amalekites had been enemies of God from the start. When they first inherited the land of Israel. On their way in, it was the Amalekites that stood in the way of Israel. And when Moses asked to let us pass through your land. And we'll pay for everything we use. The water we drink, the meat we get, we'll pay for it. Just let us pass through. And the Bible said that the Amalekites stood in the way in the past to, to uh, attack them. And uh, was going to do their best to destroy them. God gave them deliverance. But the Amalekite, but the uh, Saul... He let them go. He let Agag live. God told Israel to kill the Amalekites back when they were coming into Egypt. And now he says, I want you to slay every one of them right now. And Saul could not bring himself to do that. He listened to the people. There were folks that were giving him advice. Let me tell you. Advice is a good thing. We all use it from time to time. But when God says something definitely and declaratively, we don't need any more advice. When God says don't do something, we don't need any advice. We need to do just what God said. But King Saul spared Agag and Lot of the cattle. And a lot of the possessions of the Amalekites. Incomplete disobedience. I know people today that live for God up to a point. But there are things they're not giving to the Lord. They're not completely selling out to the Lord and to the will of God. They go part way. But not all the way. And I want to say again tonight, here's an interesting thing. Let me back up. When, when the man of God ignored killing all the enemies of the Lord, later on, when David was making a sacrifice to the Lord, and, a, and, and someone brought him word that Saul was dead, And his family. And thought he was really. Doing a good thing for David. David said did you think. Telling me this. Was going to make me glad. That Saul was. Slain on Mount Gilboa. And he talked with him a little bit. And said who are you. Where did you come from. And this man that brought. Saul the news or rather David the news that Saul was dead said I'm an Amalekite. The very people that God had said don't leave any alive. It was one of them that killed Saul on Mount Gilboa. Saul was slain or Saul was wounded nigh unto death. But he was still alive and he didn't want to be caught by the Amalekites to be taken home and hung up on the wall and mocked and made fun of. So he said, Would you kill me, please? His, his armor bearer wouldn't do it. But this man that came up on the mountain of Gilboa, when Saul begged him to slay him, picked up the sword and killed the king of Israel. What he should have killed years before, killed him on Mount Gilboa. Incomplete obedience. In chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, we have compromise. And what is that? Goliath is mocking the armies of the Lord walking back and forth and daring them to come out and fight with him, mocking them. And where is Saul? Saul is in his tent. He's hiding from Goliath and he's refusing to come out. He's compromising God's people with these folks that he should have destroyed long ago in fear he hid from the Lord, hid from them, and would not go out to fight the enemies of the Lord. God help us never to back up for anything that's not biblical, for anything that is not of God, for anyone preaching something that is not of God. Let us always be ready to stand up and fight for this Jesus name message. Hear me this afternoon. Every generation has to fight the good fight of faith. Every generation of the church has had to make its sacrifice to pick up its sword and fight against false doctrine. No generation of the church has ever escaped having to stand up and fight and fight for the truth and for the people of God. It won't be our generation either. We've got to stand up and fight for this truth. And if you haven't been challenged, you need to ask yourself why. I want to be an enemy of God's enemies. I want to fight against the people that fight against God. I want to be able to say, Lord, I'm on your side. And I want to stand up for your truth. And whatever it costs me, I want to be standing for the truth of God. In 1 Samuel chapter number 17, I'm sorry, 17, it's compromise. When you stepped into the office of the priest, when you haven't obeyed the Lord completely, then the next step is you compromise this truth with someone else. Praise God. As I said, Saul was afraid to fight. A concern for his own safety was more important than the honor of God and the honor of Israel. This is the man that the people of Israel said, Saul has slain his thousands, they bragged on his soldiership, if you please. He stood up and killed thousands of the god's enemy, but because he got into the office of the priest, because he had an, uh, an incomplete obedience in what God said destroy, he now is incompletely. Obeying God and he's compromising the truth of the Lord. The fourth step on the way to Gilboa is the hatred toward those the sacrifice of fighting for this truth standing up and be counted for being an apostolic soldier your next step is going to be that you will start resenting and start hating those who do you hear me you will actually become an enemy of God and you will hate Those who are willing to do right. You'll find yourself sitting in service like this and somebody is praising the Lord and running the aisles. Someone is leaping for joy and crying and worshiping God and you will sit in resentment for those that are willing to worship God. If you let yourself go slack, and you don't stand up and praise and magnify the Lord, you will find yourself resenting the people, resenting the people that do. You'll be jealous of their walk with God. I've heard saints make remarks of worshipers and belittle their praise in the Lord and worship in the Lord and saying, making fun of it and mocking it. When you reach that place, it's because you haven't been fighting the good fight of faith and you slipped into that place where you even resent, you even despise, you even hate those that will do the will of God. David was in Saul's armor bearer by this time, and a spirit would come on him. It was the spirit of the devil. Would come upon him, and Saul would try to pin David to the wall with a javelin. He resented, he hated the relationship that David had with God. He saw the approval of God on him. He saw the anointing of God on him, and he resented it and did his best to kill David. And had it not been for the mercy and the goodness of God, he would have got it. He pinned the javelin to the wall right next to David. But God always saved him just in time. I don't want to be trying to hurt a child of God. I don't want to resent somebody's walk with the Lord. Anything that you see somebody having with God, a relationship with the Lord that is enviable and something you would like, don't despise and be jealous of them, but rather get down on your knees and try to get it for yourself and say, God, I want that in my life. I want that touch of God in my life. I want the approval of the Lord in my life. It takes time, but it's a, it's a long road. To Gilboa. In chapter... 28 of 1 Samuel, the next step on the road to Gilboa is heresy. The Apost- I'm sorry. King Saul is desperate now. He hasn't felt God in years. He hasn't been led of the Lord in years. And he's desperate. He wants to touch God. He wants to hear from the Lord. And what does he do? He seeks out a witch, which Israel was forbidden to do with at all. He asked asked somebody about, is there somebody you know with the spirit of divination? And they told him about the witch of Endor. And he put a disguise on himself. And he slipped down to Endor. Can you imagine somebody that had prophesied? Somebody that had led the people of God into victories over and over, somebody that had been used of God seeking a word from the Lord at a witch. Looking for God to talk to him from a witch. Lord have mercy. God will talk to us if we'll let him. We don't need to be risking our salvation by seeking divination, witchcraft. Hallelujah. I've actually seen witchcraft being practiced or at least an attempt to practice it in the apostolic church. Praise the Lord. What a terrible thing it is for somebody who had the Holy Ghost, who knows God, to turn to satanic strength to try to accomplish the work of the Lord. It's a long boat, long road to Gilboa. And finally... on the hilltop of Gilboa. Saul and his three boys, back to back with the armor-bearer, are fighting against the enemies of the people of Israel. And somebody comes up that hillside, that mountain, and slays King Saul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The last and final step up to the road to Gilboa is shame, degradation, and finally death at not following the hand of the Lord. It pays to serve God. Don't let Satan discourage you and try to get you to leave God and to leave church whatever you have to go through to be saved it's worth it to go to heaven I'm going to close here with this word many years ago I was preaching a revival in Baton Rouge night after night I had seen the Lord dealing with a young man that was about 20 years of old. I saw him shaking. I saw him weeping. I saw him trembling under the convicting hand of God. But he just wouldn't turn loose. He just wouldn't let go. And I got a telephone... Brother Spell had left town for some business, and I got a telephone call one morning telling me that that young man by the name of Troy had been killed that day. He had just told his mother a day or so before, I'm going to go to the altar next time, and I'm going to get saved and pray through. But you see, we don't call the shots as to when we get saved. It is God who appoints the time. And he said it is high time that we escape this world and repent and get right with God. And so I ran out to his house. His mother was the very first soul to get saved in Life Tabernacle at Brother Spells in in, uh, Baton Rouge. She was a marvelous old child of God. I rushed out to that house to pray for him when I walked to the door she said Brother Bowie it's too late he's gone on to be with the Lord and he wasn't ready but she told us something that he said he was so weak he couldn't hardly talk when the Lord took him home but he pulled his mother over Pull her head down to his mouth and he said, Mom, tell Brother Bowie when he gets here. To tell everybody wherever he goes, they're a fool not to get saved while it they can. To keep putting off repentance, to keep putting off getting right with God. They're silly. They're a fool. Have him tell them. Tell him, I said, wherever he goes, to whomever he preaches, to tell them about me. Well, I can't do anything about Troy this afternoon. He'll answer to God for himself. But listen, soul, don't keep putting it off. Don't keep putting off repentance, something you might need to say to somebody or do. Don't put it off. But while you're able and while you're strong enough, turn to God and say, Lord, I want to be saved. I want you to forgive my sins and wash them away. I want to make it in the first resurrection. Praise the Lord. It's a long road to Gilboa. With Saul, that road was 40 years long 40 years the Lord dealt with him and he had close calls with God but he refused to get right and straighten himself up I'm asking you this afternoon if you need to get right if you need to be renewed in the Lord if you need to be saved please don't wait till it's too late don't wait till time is run out because Gilboa is around the corner. I want to make it, don't you? You know how much I want to make it? I don't care how much God embarrasses me. I don't care how many times He rebukes me. I don't care if He shames me. Whatever He has to do to get me to be saved, Whatever he has to say to me or do to me, do it, Lord, because I want to hear him say, well done, don't you? Don't be too ashamed to let God cause you to be embarrassed and reproached. Just stay close to him. Cling to his feet so that Gilboa doesn't find you wasted and unprepared. It's a long, long road to Gilboa. Just don't let it happen to you.